0: so don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: This episode is sponsored by Minima.Global and Circle. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV. I'm Jen Sinassi. We got Adam B. Levine and Wendy O. on today's Show if you are watching us on the interwebs, you're watching CoinDesk TV, which I already said at the beginning of this. But if you're listening to us, you're listening to the CoinDesk podcast network, and it's always a great time there. Hello, guys! I haven't been here in such a long time. It feels so great to see your faces. It's good to see you too, Jen. Missed you. Missed you too. Just love all around. All right, let's get in to the first story. There was some drama on Twitter over the weekend. So FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Free took to Twitter this morning to clear something up. He said that a competitor is trying to attack the company with rumors. He then says in the same tweet, FTX is fine. Assets are fine. Over the weekend, speculation rose about the solvency of FTX. This came after a Coindesk report revealed Alameda Research's balance sheet is full of FTX's native token, FTT. The balance sheet showed 2.66 billion of unlocked FTT and 292 million of locked FTT. Alameda Research is, of course, Sam Bankman-Fried's trading arm. So Binance CEO CZ got in on the actions. He said that he would be liquidating the exchanges FTT tokens on its books. And there was a little bit of back and forth with Alameda CEO. Adam, I'm going to kick this off to you first. I was gone for a week and what a story. To come back to maybe you can talk us through what is going on here
3: yeah i think it's all fun and games until somebody starts trash talking your uh, your company token right like i, I mean that's really kind of what i see with all of this stuff like ftx and binance are two of the biggest primarily non-us giant exchanges that are out there they compete in lots of ways but the market is still new enough that they don't really have to cannibalize each other's markets uh in order to succeed and continue to grow each of their respective businesses we're in a blue ocean moment still we kind of the world of the largest side of the, uh, you know, like crypto exchanges, not really a red ocean where they need to be aggressively going after people who are trading on one or the other in order to continue to grow. Now, that being said, it still is a bear market and there is still significant strategy that goes into both the, the kind of uh, the optics of the thing and also just the investing strategy of the thing. Uh, Binance has not made a lot of the big flashy moves that many of its competitors, including FTX, has. It didn't participate in any of the kind of stadium stuff. They didn't do, you know, Super Bowl ads. Um, So from a risk management standpoint, there may just be some incompatibilities here. And they may be thinking, hey, it's better to deploy these resources in other ways rather than continue to support and bet on a competitor. FTX, on the other hand, of course, uh, wants to manage that because just by nature of how much of that token they have on their books, Well, if the price of it were to go down for whatever reason, whether warranted or not, it could mean that they lose a significant amount of their their kind of book value. And again, all of this stuff is hypothetical because were you to actually take all of those tokens and sell them into the market, then obviously the price would be significantly depressed because there would be a lot more uh, supply coming into the market without really an increase in demand. So I think it's an interesting story just in that we're seeing effectively two gigantic companies really kind of just uh, like in a good-natured way, jousting with each other uh, about something that's very important in a lot of ways, but also as far as the kind of core business of each of these companies is concerned, doesn't really matter. So it's, uh, I think it's uh, billionaires punching each other in the wallet, so to speak. Wendy, what do you think?
4: So I have a very different take than you do. I think that this rivalry is going a long, 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 long ways back. I feel like CZ's kind of been waiting to do this, listening to some or reading some of his tweets. Why? Well, he did put, it. I should have sent this to control, but I didn't. But CZ did put out a tweet yesterday. Liquidating our FTT is just post-exit risk management learning from Luna. We gave support before, but we won't pretend to make love after divorce. We are not against anyone, but we won't support people who lobby against other industry players behind their backs onwards. That's a very important piece of information to add to this. And we do know that Sam came out with some possible crypto regulation. We do know that he was one of the largest Biden donors to the campaign not so long ago. And I covered the regulation, went through it on my show, and I've talked to different regulators or different attorneys in the industry. And it's not necessarily really friendly. It sounds like it's friendly, but I don't think it will be. So I feel like what CZ is doing is just kind of de-risking and just distancing himself from this particular competitor because he doesn't necessarily agree with a lot of the regulation that FTX could or could not be pushing. Again, we are supposed to be operating in a true decentralized economy. I know that's pretty much impossible given the current regulatory state of things. But at the same time, we do need to work on pushing positive regulation out. and actually working with lawmakers, not doing something that could actually damage the whole entire industry. So that's something that I do often think about. But I think that um, this is just bear market stuff. Um, we're going to see a lot more of this continue to happen. I don't think Bitcoin has capitulated yet. And um, one thing that I will tell the audience is please be very careful, careful opening any positions at all right now. There's a lot of volatility in the market. And again, not your keys, not your coins, please don't leave your cryptocurrency on exchanges, especially during times like this. We have a lot of big players in the industry with a lot of capital and things can go very, very, very wrong, very, very fast. With that being said, I wish that we can find peace in the industry. I don't like when people are fighting, but at the same time, you know, it is what it is and boys will be boys.
2: (laughs) What a a (laughs) great way to wrap up that take, boys will be boys. I want to push a question uh, back onto you, Adam. So there are a bunch of responses to SBF's tweet this morning. Zach Vol responded on Twitter and said, thoughts on FTX sharing a proof of reserves audit. He then notes that Kraken and a couple others have done this, but it's not industry standard. Some other users are pointing to some recent insolvencies, noting Celsius. And I wonder, have, has the industry put a lot of trust into SBF, where we haven't put that trust into some other leaders of exchanges. And have we done that kind of blindly?
3: I don't know if it's blind necessarily, but I think that you can just kind of look at how the world works. And you can say very clearly that most of these things, again, like not using the negative connotations, but just the literal interpretation, a lot of the stuff is about confidence, right? A lot of this stuff is just making it such that, that The people who need to believe you about a certain thing or believe that you're trustworthy or believe that you're well capitalized, that a lot of times appearances sort of trump reality when it comes to this stuff. And it's only really when the veneer of that trust and the veneer of that confidence starts to fade that then you find out that actually a lot of these people perhaps weren't exactly what they represented. So I think it's totally appropriate to ask for that type of thing. I think that again companies have choices and individual users have choices and if a company you know feels confident that they don't need to do it then you know in a lot of ways it doesn't give ammunition to kind of your competitors who might point out little things that don't matter but which can kind of start to create narratives but on the other side I think that if you can provide you know a clean report and and it's worth noting that FTX is a complicated entity <laughs> Uh, that probably has a lot of kind of cross, you know, company like loans and a lot of kind of liabilities and counterparties that are out there. So again, like we saw this with Bitfinex before, uh, you know, and Tether too, like sometimes these entities are just really, really hard to provide anything that is going to be both one, helpful and two, not just more confusing kind of than doing nothing at all. So I think that it's a challenge and I think that, uh, you know, we'll see potentially whether or not they're comfortable moving forward with it. But as we can see, again, like the the what the information that we did get um, about how much of the FTT T- token that FTX actually has on their balance sheet or that Alameda has on their balance sheet, that actually introduced a bunch of questions that weren't there before. And now the conversation is about something that the company probably very much doesn't want people talking about versus continuing to talk about the stuff that they would be happier. So I think it's a balancing act, and it just really comes down to individual choices, both in terms of what are the fundamentals behind you And also, do you need to do this? Is it helpful or will it actually just make things more complex? It's certainly a good question, Jen.
2: Well, thank you. When I asked the question, Wendy nodded and mouthed yes. So I'll give Wendy the last word on the story before we kick it off to hers.
4: I think it should be industry standard. We work in crypto. (laughs) Things are just supposed to be decentralized. The whole reason why we love Bitcoin is because you can see these transactions, even though that they're immutable everything is open source like we should hold these big entities more accountable like they have they they are capable to show us everything on chain that's what crypto is um unless you're using privacy coins so i think moving forward hopefully in this next bull run we'll set new industry standards and we will require people these big players to be a little bit more transparent i think that would be positive i think it would be a good thing to an extent and i also think that that could potentially show regulators hey we're transparent. We're the good guys here. If somebody is doing something bad, you can see it. It's all public. But I think we have to talk about my story because, again, some more drama. And Jen, you are not allowed to take any time off because apparently, when you leave, <laughs> things everything just, hit the fan. just blows up. <laughs> all right. OpenSea breaks silence on NFT royalties, but creators don't like what they hear. So I don't like. I am not liking this any way, shape, or form. I put a tweet out. I am hundred. I think that I don't like the removal of royalties. I feel that if we do remove royalties, it could potentially um, allow for regulators to call NFTs a security. However, there is a little caveat for NFTs that do not need royalties. Um, that's when the NFT ecosystems are completely built out. We're using NFTs for um, real estate documents, maybe driver's licenses, any types of public records that we could already find. Those should not require royalties. But the whole reason why we have NFTs is so creators, not even people like myself, like the music men, like writers, authors, um, people writing movies, musicians, so they can actually own their work and they can make money off of it and they don't have to go through a predatory um, record industry because they are the absolute worst. So basically, this effect is going to take place on November 8th. And OpenSea is also going to be launching on-chain tool, on tool, helping creators enforce royalties. OpenSea will enforce royalties for new collections using the on-chain tool, but won't do so for new collections that don't opt in. So I like that they are going to be giving people the option, but at the same time, like one of one pieces deserve to have, um, they deserve to have royalties and that should not be mitigated any way, shape or form. And this is my hill. I'm going to toss it over to Jen.
2: Yeah, Wendy, I know one of the other marketplaces that said that they were going to get rid of royalty said they were going to keep it for, for the one of ones. So I think that there are some people in the industry that are thinking along the same lines of view. I agree that NFTs are for the creator. And when NFTs hit the mainstream stage, that's what we were talking about, right? We were getting rid of the middlemen. We were going to democratize art and creators were finally going to be paid by the people who loved their art. And now we're just seeing the market do what the market does right people don't want to pay um and and when there's more competition i think that the the marketplaces are going to give the customers what the customers want to do this story for me i was kind of on the fence about you know OpenSea ceo said it's clear that many creators want the ability to enforce fees on chain and fundamentally we believe that the choice should be theirs to make it shouldn't be a decision made for them by marketplaces I feel like OpenSea is seeing an opportunity to win the PR narrative here with creators and block out some of their competition. So if you read a little bit more down the story, they are going to test out being able to blacklist other marketplaces who are allowing um, traders not to pay fees. So it feels like a little bit of a win-win here. But when it comes to transparency, crypto Twitter, I think, has done right to point out the fact that they are maybe using this as an opportunity to block out their competitors. The one thing I will say though, is that people have a choice. Creators have a choice in this. If you don't like what one marketplace is doing, you can use another. And so that's the beauty of this coming off of the last story, Adam, you said that in our last story. So I'll pass it off to you for your thoughts.
3: Yeah, I actually think that you kind of nailed it there at the end, um, which is that this is a choice, and it's a choice that's non-standard right now. And one of the big challenges with... So, so just backing up a little bit as far as like NFTs are concerned, NFTs are digital collectibles. The, the royalty thing is really something that's a little bit on the newer side in terms of people finding that to be important. It was something that sort of came out when Ethereum smart contracts and particularly marketplaces like OpenSea started collecting fees for their own uh, profitability, right? That was how they made money off of these types of marketplace transactions. And then they were like, hey, if we're collecting this for ourselves, why wouldn't we collect it for other people and then kind of allow them to make that money? And then as that became something that people started doing, then we saw this narrative emerge that's like, oh, hey, this is a reinvention of complete disintermediation of the prior system, um, which is obviously uh, very predatory and, you know, is really has not been great to kind of creators, uh, you know, who oftentimes, especially for creators who have longer productive careers, would uh, wind up basically competing against themselves, competing against their older works that were sold to other people and that they didn't get any sort of return on from when they were sold and then having a harder time selling their newer works that they are actually the, the people who are selling. So there's, there's real reasons why you would want to do this. But there are also technical challenges. And those technical challenges have always made me look at this and say, okay, this is a moment that we're in right now that doesn't really have a better solution. And just to break it down very quickly... When you're talking about doing royalties on chain, you're basically saying that one of two things has to happen. On the one side, every transaction that involves one of these assets must have an amount of money that is attached to it. Or alternatively, you're saying that anyone who is willing to operate outside of the system can just make a deal that completely ignores the royalty that's there, you know, programmatically, just by pretending that it's a simple transfer and doing the payment some way other than on the blockchain in the way that in in the same transaction where that that happens. So that's real. That's always been a problem. Uh, We don't have a good solution for it. It seems like OpenSea is trying to address that. And that's what that's where I think this is going to come down to is is does the market not necessarily just the artist, but the entire market, including both the artists, the marketplaces, and then also the people buying the stuff. Are they going to play by the rules? If they are, then we can have this be standardized. If they're not, Then you're basically creating a situation that, that's voluntary where people can choose to pay royalties. But that was kind of always the case. So I I think again, a push towards standardization can only be a good thing when it comes to this type of stuff. But it's not just like a, Hey, we just need to make a decision and flip a switch one way or the other. It's complicated. It involves human behavior and none of this stuff winds up being easy. So I think it's good to see it getting tackled. I don't know what the right answer is for it, but I, I suspect this is a conversation we'll be having probably a year from now too.
4: I just get so upset because like I was arguing with somebody on crypto Twitter or NFT Twitter, or whatever you want to call it. They're all cryptocurrencies. Um, but I was arguing last night. And I was like this, like, they're like, oh, well, we can just allow humans to do the right thing. And I'm like, well, what about Napster? or what about LimeWire? Because that was my back in the day is like you were able to download all kinds of music and the people writing the music were not getting credit for it or getting compensated for it. And they were already getting screwed out of money <laughs> from the record labels. So I don't trust humans to do the right thing. Is it because people are bad? Not necessarily, but at the same time, like this is people's livelihoods. This is things that people are creating. The 10,000 generative piece of eh, whatever, that's a completely different argument. But I just don't want to see this become the industry standard and see the underdogs get cheated again. Um, because again, mm-hmm. the music industry is absolutely terrible. And there's been so many different Music masterpieces that have been written by amazing, talented people, and they haven't gotten credit for it. I don't want to see that continue to happen. Crypto and Bitcoin, NFTs, whatever, it's supposed to make the quality of life better. That's all I got to say.
3: You know, I think that uh, to the extent we can solve problems with technology, we should solve problems with technology. But again, a lot of this stuff comes down to human behavior. And like you can game it out. And if somebody really wants to cheat these types of systems, even if it was fully mandated, every transfer on chain has to be a transfer, right? What are you going to do? Enforce floors? I mean, like, there's no good technological solution to any of this stuff. It's all just a question of, like, what, what are the clever ways that we can combine these things to create the least worst set of outcomes? And I think at the end of the day, that's where we'll probably wind up because everything else is going to be a compromise.
1: So here's a big question. What's the most important thing about crypto? It's not transactions per second, it's not convenience, and it's not even smart contracts. It's decentralization to achieve censorship resistance so we can all be free. Minima is a new layer one blockchain designed to run in full on a smartphone so that anyone can participate in building Minima's decentralized network as an equal. Join over 300,000 Minima node runners on the incentive program today to start earning Minima every day until mainnet launch. Get started at Minima.global. This episode is brought to you by Circle, the sole issuer of USDC and a leader in crypto that's held to a higher standard. USDC is a fast, safe and efficient way to send money around the globe.
3: Our last story for today isn't actually really a news item so much as it is an interesting quirk of the early smart contract era ecosystem, just as we've been talking about with uh, royalties. Now, CoinDesk writer Sage Young has a new piece out this morning, taking a look at the so-called white hat hacker industry. The term itself comes from old Western movies where you could tell the good guys from the bad guys by the color of their hats. They were all gunslingers, but were, some of them were in it for themselves and some of it were in it to save the town folk. In the world of computer security, the comparison is pretty direct. Black hat hackers wreck systems for fun and profit, while white hats try to keep the web safe by finding and reporting issues before they're exploited. But things get a little bit messier when you get into the world of Web3. In a token-powered world, basically everything is financialized, and the lines get pretty blurry pretty quickly. When a bridge or smart contract is compromised, we on this show often don't know whether it's a malicious black hat robbing the blockchain bank or if it's a bunch of good guys who got there and are looting it first, and that's got at least one group of self-described white hats who took and returned about two million dollars out of the recent Nomad hack, asking for more clarity. I think it's a tough ask, uh, but I think it's an important topic. So I'm kind of curious for your thoughts on this one, Jen. Like, you know, we we talk about these stories a lot. In terms of like, hey, was this white hat? Was this black hat? Like, what what are we actually doing? You know, are people returning? What's a fair bounty? You know, there's just like a laundry list of questions that come into line here. How do you see it?
2: As you were doing your intro, I just imagine like, pew, 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 pew. Anyways, (laughs) I know in the story that there are calls for some regulation around white hat hacks, right? I think about halfway down the story, we hear from a white hat hacker that said you know i don't really know how i can continue because i'm not really sure what the regulatory landscape looks like wouldn't that be so progressive if we we got to the point where regulators were looking at white hat hackers and putting together real frameworks so that we could progress and solve these problems that regulators talk so much about that would be amazing i unfortunately don't think that we are going to advance at that level um and when i was reading the story i thought You know, maybe Adam, you can explain to me the, the logistics or maybe the history here, but wouldn't it make sense for white hat hackers to maybe come in house on, on many of the projects? So, you know, when we watch movies in the movies, we see the FBI hiring hackers, hiring people who just came out of prison for hacking. Isn't that feels like the industry could benefit from bringing some of these hackers in house, but is there something? that has happened historically or logistically that is preventing that from happening?
3: Yeah. So white hat hacking has always been more of a cottage industry than it really has anything formalized. Really, again, just like script kiddies and people who are out there who have the choice of, hey, I found this thing or, hey, I'm looking through this code anyways, just because I'm curious. Oh, hey, I found something. What do I do with it? Do I exploit it myself or do I report it? Typically, what will happen is that, um, you know, is that uh, it will get reported by a white hat and then it comes time to negotiate typically around, hey, do you have a bounty program? Are you going to pay me money? You know, like and sometimes white hat hackers nominally, uh, you know, like people who are trying to do good will actually be like, hey, I found something, but I'm not going to tell you unless you pay me. There have been organizations that have been out there going back to the very early days of crypto. There were a couple of groups where basically they were infrastructure for people who were, wanted to do this type of work um, to then uh, have the the kind of company or organization then work with and contract with other groups out there to then have their sorts of groups, uh, you know, like uh, try to find problems within these systems and try to earn bounties. A lot of time these are people out of Eastern Europe. A lot of times these are people out of Asia, uh, you know, who have relatively lower costs of living compared to here. I think the big challenge around it just is that like you have to be a pretty big company to be like, hey, we're gonna employ a couple of people full time to just try to break ourselves, to, to like break our stuff and then uh, figure out what's going on there. There's QA teams, quality assurance, but the actual white, hack, uh, white hat compromises, can't say that at all today. Um, that's a little bit more of a specialized thing. So I think it's just, it's, it's, it's hard to formalize this because the flexibility that's inherent with it is actually helpful I think a lot of times Whereas, if there were hard and fast rules about this, that might actually limit some opportunities um you know to find problems that aren't anticipated by the rules. Wendy, I'll kick it over to you
4: well, governments use like third party white hackers white hat hackers to do things I mean, and there's not really a lot of different rules about it. It's just something that they kind of do and I guess it would be a cool job. I don't know I'd have to ask somebody that I know that does this, but You're anyways. Into that sort he, of thing. <laughs> Yeah, we do have, we do have crypto projects that ask for bug bounties. Most all of them are actively looking for white hat hackers, but they're not really coming out and saying that they're like, Hey, we're going to give this to community. There's bug bounties. Like anytime I like review a project, that is something that I look for. Does the community actually care? Are they, you know, incorporating some of their community members to actually test some of this stuff out? That's a really important fundamental aspect of these projects. So we do see that happening. But it's just not formalized, and again, I don't think the U.S. government is going to give any type of guidelines as to what, like how this should be regulated, because it's a very hard industry to regulate. But at the same time, they do have, they are hiring third-party contractors to do this type of work in-house. So who
2: knows? Maybe we can get a hacker DAO going, and then companies can submit proposals for the hackers in the DAO to go and try and break their code. I feel like it's a great idea. I feel like it you know, after Hash DAO, we get Hacker Dow going. The three of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
3: Launch of the smart contract right after the show today.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Join us. Discord channel will be up soon. All right. That was an awesome Monday show, guys. It feels good to be back. A reminder for all of our watchers and listeners, CDTV will be off the air tomorrow for election day. So please go out and vote. This is the way to make a difference. We will be back on Wednesday with special post-election coverage and analysis Congressman Jim Himes will be joining First Mover at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday morning. So don't miss it. We are going to go take a little break, get into those smart contracts, and we'll see you on Wednesday.
1: You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com subject line The Hash or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player.